Pop-Up Theatre presents Behind the Dahlia, a Sherlock Holmes review, hosted by Alexandria Tan. Welcome, listeners, to Pop-Up Theatre's Behind the Dahlia, a review of our podcast play Sherlock Holmes in the Black Dahlia. This episode is sponsored by The Social Bar and Restaurant. Today we are lucky to have an expert on the infamous Black Dahlia murder case, Mr. Steve Hodell. Now, Steve is a former LAPD detective who brings over 50 years of law enforcement, homicide, and private investigation work to this cold case. He's also a New York Times bestselling author and the son of the prime suspect of the Black Dahlia murder. Steve, welcome to our show. Great to be with you, Alex. And likewise, we're very honored to have you on the show, and we can't wait to hear what you have to share with us today. So first off, we have to know, what did you think of our Sherlock Holmes Black Dahlia episode? Did you enjoy it? Very much. I was very much surprised to discover that uh, here I thought I was the one that came along and solved it and discover that actually Sherlock and Dr. Watson did it uh, back in 47 was a huge surprise to me. <laughs> one of my real challenges was to separate fact from fiction, actually. Unlike most of the homicides, you know, I with LAPD, I did like 300 murder investigations during my career. And usually it was a tabula rasa, you know, a blank slate. You just move forward and try and figure out who done it. But in this case, uh, in the case of the Black Dahlia, Elizabeth Short, and uh, had to separate a lot of fiction, a lot of myth uh, that had been stacked on it for 50 years. Yeah, um, but I guess it's also kind of nice to escape the ugliness of the case and see it through the eyes and the lens of fictional characters in a fictional world, but still have that very real, um, historically accurate um, element to it. So our writer and director, Scott McQuaid, here at Pop-Up Theatre said that when he was consulting with you and researching your father, George Hodell, as the possible killer, that he was surprised at your father's intellect because he was quite a brilliant man, right? Right. Well, you know, one of the one of the big things about Dr. George Hill Hodel, he really did consider himself to be a master criminal. I mean, very much the Moriarty, if you will. And uh, absolutely, he would have loved to engage Sherlock in a Battle of Wits. Very confident that he would be able to outsmart one of the smartest detectives, you know, that walks on earth. <laughs> he would have loved it. Yeah, I'm sure. Uh, I spend the first third of my book uh, basically defining George Hodel, my father. And he had this amazing life. I mean, it was, you know, uh, a boy genius, a musical prodigy at nine years old, going to Caltech, one of the most prestigious universities in California at the age of 14. Uh, you know, becoming a uh, crime reporter for the newspapers at 17, passing himself off for 21, then going to pre-med at Berkeley, and just, you know, on and on. Um, uh, just an amazing individual. He had, you know, seven, ten different uh, occupations by the time he was, you know, 20. He's just uh, right, unbelievable. Right. And you need to understand that to truly understand the man and his madness, his personal madness. So, I mean, the truth is, uh, men like George Odell simply put things together differently than us mere mortals. And uh, that was his madness and his sadness. Yeah, and I think that's why Scott wrote him as this like evil mastermind in the episode. One thing that does puzzle me, though, is the letters that the LAPD received from the killer. The first letter states that the killer would turn himself in if he only serves 10 years for the crime. Um, but then a second letter backtracks that. This makes it seem like the killer is nervous and kind of unsure of himself. It doesn't really seem to have a calculated approach that perhaps your father would have. What's your take on this? 
Well, I think he, I think actually when he sent the first letter in, I think he did actually figure he turned himself in. And then I think he had second thoughts after a day or two and thought, what the heck, uh, why do that? Uh, they're not going to give me, any. in fact, he wrote, put it in writing and said it to him, you won't give me a, a square deal. I've changed my mind. And I think he basically thought, what have I got to lose by not turning myself in? You know, and of course, he was feigning. Many of the mailings, he probably, on the Dahlia case, I think he meant he mailed in about uh, six or eight, at least, that are, in my opinion, are definitely his. And they were taunting the police, catch me if you can type thing, and playing with them. Again, this cat and mouse game, the master criminal is smarter than the, you know, the, the rookie cops. They they'll never figure him out. So I think that had a lot to do with it. And um, he just played it out to think, what have I got to lose? You know, they catch me, they catch me, but I don't think they're going to. He was playing with them the entire time. Right. Okay. Um, So let's circle back to the beginning. How did you come to the conclusion that your father is the Black Dahlia killer? I was long retired. I was uh, 15 years into retirement and had become very close with my father. He'd come back to uh, San Francisco from Asia after 40 years, and uh, we became quite close uh, in his last 10 years. So when he he died at the age of 91, uh, I got that 2 a.m. phone call, went down, did all the things you have to do to take care of a father's passing, helping his wife out, June. And uh, she brought out this album, and she showed me this album, and we're going through it. It's me as a small boy and my brothers and mother. And and there was this dark-haired woman in her 20s, and I said, who is this? And June said, I don't know, somebody your father knew from a long time ago. And it looked familiar. And at the time, and I don't know to this day why Black Dahlia came to mind, I I suspect it might have been, there was a movie made in 1975. You know, it had that look of her, that 40s look. That might have been the source, but it just came and went. I didn't think much of it. Probably the next day, I was on the phone to my half-sister, Tamar, and uh, we're talking about the great man's passing, his remarkable accomplishments, what a life he led. And she comes out of nowhere and says, well, you know, he was a suspect in the Black Dahlia murder, but he didn't do it. And I said, what the hell are you talking about, Tamar? She said, yeah, the police told me that when they were taking me to and from court, that they thought he was the Black Dahlia killer. Well, my reaction was no way. I knew dad had problems sexually. I knew that he was, you know, had serial marriages. He had 11 children by five wives. So I knew he was definitely into sex, but serial murders, torture murders, no way. So I started out to begin to show he had nothing to do with this. Well, I started my investigation and started looking into it. And the next thing I know that a surgeon did it. Well, dad was a skilled surgeon, but still, there's no way. My girlfriend was sending me up the front page headlines from the 40s. And here's one, one of these notes from him. And it says, Turning myself in on January 29th, had my fun at the police, signed Black Dahlia Avenger. And I look at it, and it's my father's handwriting. I couldn't believe it. I said, is he pretending to be? Anyway, that opened the door, and next thing I know, I had to relocate back to L.A. and in secret to the district attorney, presented my case, and he said, yes, based on this, I'd file on at least two of the murders, the Dahlia and another, the red lipstick murder. So I went from absolutely positive my father had nothing to do with it, and I would be able to establish that, to actually making a strong case that I would convict him. Right, yeah. Um, That's quite a 180 on your part then. So let's go back to the crime itself, which took place in 1947, very much the golden age of Hollywood. Your father, George Hodel, is in the heart of L.A. Why do you think he killed Elizabeth Short? What's your reasoning behind the murder, and why Elizabeth? 
Yeah, well, that's gonna, that would take a couple of hours to explain, but let's just see if I can give you a few uh, headlines here. So initially, he met and was dating Elizabeth Short. And now this is, would be later proven in some secret documents that were discovered in the district attorney's office. And uh, as far as the actual motive why he killed her, it's complicated, but he couldn't deal with rejection by anybody, especially women. And he was an extreme, a classic sadist in the extreme. Because he was such a high genius, you know, he was always ahead of his classes. And girls really didn't want, you know, this 11-year-old or this 13-year-old, no thanks. So he built up a lot of rejection. Um, you know, I looked at, tried to look at a lot of the signatures as to why he became what he became. It's complicated. There's, I'm sure there was congenital insanity on his part. I think he was the victim of a, a incest with his mother. There's strong indications of that. And uh, he was a, a misogynist. He hated women. And what we discover with Elizabeth Short is that um, apparently she discovered one of his crimes, uh, a, a Chicago crime, uh, the red lipstick murders. There were three murders in Chicago. And while he's over in China, she goes back and she starts investigating these three crimes. And this is all documented again in the DA reports. He's back there looking at these crimes. And um, apparently he must have gotten word that she was back there looking at him. He quickly resigns his position in China uh, as a medical officer, comes back. Next thing we know, she starts running fear of her life. And within two months, uh, the, the murder occurs. So probably that was the main motive was to keep her silent. And he does killings like that in other of his victims. But uh, I think it was a combination of things, the rejection, the fear that she was going to expose him. All right. Understood. Um, so in many ways, this ongoing investigation has been like an act two of your life after your career at the LAPD. So do you believe that you will be able to find some type of smoking gun evidence that will undoubtedly confirm George Hodel as the Black Dahlia killer? Well, we have. I mean, that's what the five, you know, that's why there are five books. It's really one ongoing investigation. And, you know, we keep building more and more evidence uh, with each book. I present new evidence and stuff. And of course, some of the, you know, some of the major evidence we already know. I mean, we learned from the secret files that he was the prime suspect all along, that he knew her, that he was a surgeon. And there's no question LAPD and, and coroner confirmed that there had to have been a skilled surgeon. It's actually a procedure called a hemicorpectomy. And it's the only way you can divide the body in half without sawing through bone. And he performed this uh, on her. He also performed it on uh, other victims. The, one of the Chicago little girl, he performed the same procedure hemicorpectomy. And this was the uh, one of the crimes that uh, Elizabeth Short was going to reveal. So uh, there's no question that we have actually physical evidence from the, uh, in fact, I think you dealt with this in your fictionalized version. We have physical evidence of the cement sacks that were found uh, that were, we have receipts for these sacks that were at the Franklin house right, yeah. uh, that were there three days before the body was found and that they were used to transport the body from an unknown location at that time, which was the Franklin House, to the crime scene. But here we have, let me give you a couple of quotes here from some of the top officers that were actually involved in the investigation. And there was, and it was a cover-up. Um, chief Parker, who is our most famous, LAPD's most famous chief, Bill Parker, he says, we, I quote, we identified the Black Dahlia suspect. He was a doctor, uh, end quote. Chief of Detectives Thad Brown, who was involved in the investigation from the get-go, the Black Dahlia case was solved. He was a doctor who lived on Franklin Avenue in Hollywood. Lieutenant Frank Jemison of the DA's office, we know who the Black Dahlia killer was. He was a doctor, but we didn't have enough to put him away. And then we have the undersheriff saying the Black Dahlia case was solved. It'll never come out. The suspect was a doctor. 
they all knew in Hollywood involved in abortions. So those are four of the top cops that, uh, and this is back then, this isn't now, uh, they're all long gone now. So we have that, and the, uh, the evidence now is way beyond any reasonable doubt at this stage. Yeah, definitely. I think that's why our writer Scott McQuaid pinned the Black Dahlia murderer as your father for our Sherlock Holmes Black Dahlia episode. And I'm sure there's some people who will and have uh, disagreed with it or who will say that we will never know. But um, of course, we wanted Sherlock to get his man in the episode. And also when Scott was researching the whole case for the episode, it was just absolutely overwhelming what um, you, Steve, have uh, found about your father in the case. Um, like I mentioned earlier, Sherlock is basically you, Steve, with a calabash pipe and a deerstalker hat. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. Well, it is overwhelming. And I mean, you're always going to, you know, there's there's a lot of people out there who say, don't mess with my myth. They don't want it solved. You know, it's a beautiful crime as long as it remains a mystery, but you ruin it when you solve it. You know, there's that group. And then there are these others uh, that have their own personal attachment to certain suspects, you know, that uh, they don't want to give up. You know, it's hard for a lot of people to say I was wrong or I, you know, I was mistaken, you know, so it's easier to stick with your myth and, and what you want to believe. But to tell you the truth, it's been a it's been a huge movement from even back in 2003 when it was str a strong case to now, which is 20 years later, uh, you know, just just keeps building and building. Um, so I have to ask. If your father is the Black Dahlia murderer, and you also think he's killed some other victims, as you mentioned in your book, The Lipstick Murderer and some other cases, but none of them are like the Black Dahlia murderer, as in the way that she was cut in half and all that. So do you think your father has an MO? There's so many moving parts to this investigation that, you know, we haven't even touched on. For example, the taunting, there's a whole crime signature of what I call murder is a fine art. This was part of George Hodel's madness. The biggest crime signature for Elizabeth Short was the posing of her body. And this was his masterpiece. Uh, you know, he posed her in a certain way. That whole thing is, is a huge part of the crime signature in the MO. Uh, you talk about Jack the Ripper. He was a Ripperologist. Much of what Jack the Ripper did in his boss letter, George did. Yeah, as you know, uh, Jack the Ripper feigned ignorance and spelling. He misspelled words. He also used red ink to uh, write them as if it was blood, while George used mercurochrome on his notes to feign, pretend it was blood. And it's just, you know, it's just amazing. There's, it's so uh, convoluted in, in some respects, but in other respects, it's very consistent with his, his signatures. Now, as this is a theater channel, I wanted to ask you about your own published play that is A Genius Murder, a historical drama in three acts. Can you tell us a little bit about that? So I, I did write a play. I'm no playwright, but I did attempt to uh, do a uh, three-act play in which uh, basically I wanted to focus on probably the biggest misunderstanding is uh, has to do with uh, uh, why the cover-up. In other words, there was a major cover-up by LAPD, and people say, well, if they knew who he was, why would they cover it up? So I took three acts and presented this so people would better understand the why of the cover-up is really the main purpose of that. Great, yeah. So as mentioned earlier, listeners, Steve is a best-selling author, and he has actually written numerous books on the subject of the Black Dahlia and other crimes. These works include The Black Dahlia Avenger 1, 2, and 3, 
most evil one and two, and the play we were just talking about, A Genius Murder, a historical drama in three acts. And more recently, the book, The Mesquite, The Solving of the 1938 West Texas Kidnap, and due for release in 2022, is The George Hill Hodel Murders, The Early Years. So that's something for the Black Dahlia community to look forward to. And all of Steve's books can be purchased at most online retailers, including Amazon. And of course, for easy access and to keep up with Steve, um, you can visit his website at stevehodel.com. Thank you, Steve, once again for coming onto our show. Um, I would just like to say that our Sherlock Holmes Black Dahlia episode is actually one of our most popular episodes in the series. So thank you so much for all your help in aiding our research for the story. Great to be with you, Alex. I enjoyed it. Oh, I'm so glad. It was our pleasure to have you. Is there anything happening on your side that you would like the community to keep an eye out for? The uh, Well, we're doing a miniseries. We're just starting it. It just got greenlit. We'll be presenting all of this, you know, and we're going to do the five books. Uh, we're going to do them in, a, I don't know how many episodes we're going to have, but uh, got a really great team on board and uh, we're real excited about moving forward and we're just starting to do this. So it's such a visual story, you know? Yeah. I mean, uh, it's it's really going to be uh, and with a top team of people, it's going to be it's going to be exciting for me to do this finally after 20 years of putting it together. You know, <laughs> right? That's amazing. Congratulations. Um, we're definitely going to keep our eyes peeled for that one. Um, so thank you again, Steve, and we look forward to you cracking the case in the near future. Just before I leave, I'd like to thank our sponsors, the Social Bar and Restaurant, a franchise here in Malaysia with exceptional food friendly service and an invigorating atmosphere. They are currently open for takeout and strict socially distanced dine-ins at five of their branches, 163 Montkera, Days Park City, Bangsar, Publica, and Empire Subang. For more information, visit their website, thesocial.com.my. So if you're a listener in Malaysia, head over to The Social, where there's something for everyone. And for listeners who have not yet listened to our Sherlock Holmes in the Black Dahlia podcast play or any of the other Sherlockian adventures, you can access them at Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Anchor.fm, YouTube, and wherever else you listen to your podcasts. To stay updated, you can follow us on our Instagram at popup underscore theatre. And for further Holmesian-related material and original theatre shows, please subscribe to our YouTube channel. Until next time, my fellow Sherlockians, I'm Alexandria Tan, signing off. <laughs>